Um, welcome to the 24th edition of uh, UK Tech Investment Weekly, run by Daylight and Techcelerate. Uh, we have uh, four founders today. Um, we're going to have a 60-minute chat with them to find out their founder journey, uh, their fundraising journey, and the growth plans going forward. Um, this event is um, co-hosted with Andrew Turkle and Stuart Townsend. Andrew, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Of course, and my name's Andrew. I run a health tech company based in Manchester, and we provide e-scheduling software to community nurses in the NHS. Stuart? Yep, Stuart, based out of sunny Lancashire. I run a consulting service for B2B SaaS companies, helping them grow revenue through channel partners. Uh, I also have two side businesses, one's an SMS company and one's a podcast data company. Uh, thank you, Stuart. So my name is Manoj Ranavira. I run an organization called TechSelerate. We work with uh, early stage UK-based technology companies from pre-revenue to a million plus uh, Series A companies. Um, we've been doing this for three years now. Uh, so we work with about between 25 to 35 companies at any given time. It's a membership type organization. We don't take equity. Uh, we just charge an annual membership fee. Uh, and we primarily focus on getting the product right and the commercialization of it before investment. Uh, but um, everyone loves investment money. Uh, so we started collecting investment data um, about um, companies, UK companies raising investment uh, since 2018. And we uh, recently turned that into a web application called D-Lite. So we are in a way competing with Crunchbase uh, and to some extent uh, Bohurst, uh, but we are only doing this for UK and we have no plans to uh, extend it to any other country. So as we were collecting data, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a factory thing. You know, you have to collect data, you have to enrich it, you have to share it. Um, but we never really had a chance to talk to the founders and learn about their journeys. Uh, since Clubhouse uh, was uh, launched and I got access to it in early uh, January, uh, three of us got together to bring these stories to um, to everyone. So that's what we're doing. Um, so we tend to um, ask sort of a very easy questions from our founders on the day, um, and the session is broken into three areas. So I sort of get started with the founder stories, and Andrew Andrew come in around twenty minutes uh, to talk about the the fundraising, and then. Stuart uh, takes over for the last 20 minutes on growth plans. So we tend to go how individuals are, individuals appear on the mobile app. So I got, um, so if you're not listening and if, if, you're, if this is your first time, please mute. Um, but I got Peter, so Peter, you don't have to mute right now. So uh, uh, you run a very interesting company uh, in energy. Uh, my background before I, you know, I used to have a job a long time ago, a couple of jobs, and I actually worked in energy sector um, and worked for National Grid, et cetera. Um, we'll be interested to hear what what you are doing with uh, origami, uh, sorry, origami Energy and, uh, and, and you know, if you share how you set up the company, but also give a little bit of a brief about yourself, uh, journey up to setting up the company, and also the composition of that early stage where, you know, how did we, did you bring uh, co-founders or did you set up by yourself? So if you can share that founder journey, that would be great, Peter. Yeah, um, thanks. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Peter. I'm the founder and CEO of Origami. We're a, a B2B software company, actually, but I can, you know, explain some of the history of, of how Origami came to be. But fundamentally, our purpose was always to try to use our software um, in the hands of our customers to help accelerate the shift to a, a green energy world. You know, our belief was that, yeah, you need to build solar farms and wind farms and batteries and electric vehicles, but you also need smart software, you know, the intelligence to run the green energy system, which in the past we basically didn't need and now we do. And it's hard and it's complicated. 
it's really that's why origami exists. And and I guess the the light bulb moment for me was um, wind back the clock when I was uh, taking a break between um, CEO positions. I was CEO of a publicly listed company before, and I, I took a couple of years where I was working part time with um, a London based investment company called Octopus Investments. They were active in venture capital investing in software startups, but also asset investing in, in, in renewables assets. Think about very large solar farms. And really, the, the light bulb moment for me was that there wasn't really a good solution um, to bring together the, the physics of energy assets, you know, stuff you can kick, and uh, uh, access to financial markets and, and trading. And really, that digital glue is what has become origami. So we join together the the physics of energy assets and the economics of markets, all real time, all with lots of data and all with artificial intelligence. So really that's what became origami. And when I quit Octopus to found origami, they asked me to pitch them the deal and they were the, the lead investor on the first round. So it's nice when you, when you leave a company and they give you a big check. What was the uh, founding team? So if you, if you started with capital, then obviously you could hire very quickly. Did you, uh, was a number of you came together to create the company or was it just you took the money, then you hired the team? Yeah, I, I, t- I took the money and then I hired the team. But even before I, I took the, the original um, funding, I'd, I'd, I'd already um, pulled together a part-time group of people working on the business idea with me, uh, all using my own money. So I basically funded the first year or so of the business personally. Um, I, got, I hired an advisory board of truly world-class experts in power trading, grid balancing, um, systems modeling, you know, all the kind of the, 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 the stuff that we would need to tap into. So we had an advisory group, which I'd pulled together. We actually had three customers that said, if you build this, we will use it. So we had signed letters of intent from future customers, even though we hadn't built the product yet. And I had a few part-time people working for me. So those are the early beginnings that let me round, uh, raise the first round of money. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. So if I move on to Michael now, uh, Michael, you are, um, you're going to start out, which is very timely right now. Um, remote working is, it seems to be the way forward. Um, plus a bit of hybrid, um, especially, uh, around meetings. So, uh, tell us when you started, uh, Desana and, um, and how, how, you know, share your own journey up to that point and, uh, whether you uh, set up the company with the co-founders or whether you, um, you know, t- tell us the story around that, please. Michael, you are muted at the moment. Uh, Michael, if you um, see the button at the bottom right, the mic button, if you press that, you can unmute. Um, okay, so Michael, uh, for some reason, technical reason, we come here from Michael right now. So uh, uh, let's let's go to Stuart. Um, Stuart, you got um, you're catering for the over fifties. I'm actually fifty three. Um, would be interesting to understand what got you to set up um, um, Restless. Uh, and how you what, what's that uh, early journey has been like? Hi, Manoj. A, a, a pleasure to be here. Um, um, could you speak up, please? Because it's very hard to hear you. Oh, okay. Can you, is that any better? A little bit, yes. Um, no, fantastic. So, um, I, I guess the I, I draw on I draw on personal inspiration as, as much as, as as many many founders do. So, my father passed away back end of twenty sixteen. And it triggered a, a load of reflection about myself and what I wanted to do with my, my career. Uh, Stuart, we, we can barely hear you. Is that any better? Oh, that's much better. Thank you. Okay, much better. Thank you, Stuart. No, so, 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 like, so like many founders, I, I found myself drawing on um, personal experience. So when my father passed away in the back end of 2016, um, it triggered a couple of things. So it triggered a, a bunch of uh, reflections on what I wanted to do with my career in my life. Um, and I think it triggered a load of uh, reflections and memories about um, his life. 
and reflecting kind of quite uh, powerfully that he'd been retired for longer than he'd been in the workplace, of course. So he'd been retired for 36 years, longer than 35 years he'd been in the, in the workplace. Um, and the more we, we looked into that, the more we became really interested, actually, that uh, life expectancy was going up actually people were living longer, healthier lives and there just didn't seem to be anything out there to help people navigate these transitions and what is quite a interesting and um, exciting but also daunting stage of life. Um, and and I, I think from, that, from there on in, uh, Sarah, my co-founder and, and I have kind of been very focused on helping meet the really broad needs of um people as they as they manage through this this transition and what is quite a significant life stage for many of them um it, sorry Stuart. um so you also cover um quite a wide range of uh, activities from uh, you know looking after money to dating volunteering um so is what you're trying to build is pretty much a one-stop shop for everything that uh somebody over 50 require. Is, is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think so. So I think, I think you, you hear a lot of talk around uh, the super apps you see over in, in Asia and so on. I think there's a real opportunity to build something similar in, in, in Europe and in the UK um, focused on a very, very specific set of customers and, and shared needs and, and, um, uh, and, and shared needs and, and interests. Um, and I think that's exactly where we want to, we, we're, we're wanting to go. I think when you look at um, where we came from, we started very much, very firmly on a much narrower set around helping people navigate career and workplace transitions. So in the UK, according to ONS data, people's earnings peak in their 40s, um, implying that many people are choosing to uh, transition into perhaps more rewarding career paths in their 50s and again in their 60s. Um, so we were, we were focused very much on this idea of helping people maintain purpose and stay actively engaged in, in, in what they wanted to do. I think when the pandemic hit us, we had a couple of options, which was do you, do you, uh, very, very few employers were wanting to work with anyone on the recruitment side and on the, the career change side. So it's kind of a decision of do you, do you shut down and, and um, reduce costs and, and, and kind of last, wait it out? Or do you actually kind of take a user-centric view, which was our audience uh, were fearful. People had, uh, everyone was trying to process what was going on um, through, through the start of the pandemic. Um, we couldn't help people find jobs or career changes, but we could help them navigate the benefit system, many of them for the first time. Or we can help people navigate and give very helpful resources around mental health and so on. And I think it was that start of listening to what our members wanted last, uh, last spring, last summer, that gave us that opportunity and that idea to, well, actually, there's lots of other areas in, in people's lives that we have the opportunity to help them with. And, and have decided to build out around uh, focusing on our users, what other needs can we help fulfill for them? Thank you. Thank you so much, Stuart. Uh, Michael, um, if I go back to you, uh, you're saying you can't access unmute. Uh, it's actually the bottom right icon. If you press that. I'm sure if you can unmute yourself as well, please. Thank you. Michael, um, I, I don't have any control to unmute you, so you would need to do this yourself. Um, raising hand is not the option. It's the, you are already on the panel, so if you click on the uh, bottom right, you could see the mic, and if you press that, it should unmute. Uh, Andrew, is there any other way to explain? Well, I'm, tell you, I'm just going to um, move it to the audience now, and then if you want to, and then we'll see if, if moving you back works. Let's try this. Okay. Uh, okay, you I can invite, oh, invite to speak, yeah. Michael. Okay, Michael, you can speak now. Yeah, I think if you accept the invite, Michael, that you just had. Should it like to speak? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? 
Uh, yes, yes, we can. We can. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, I, it, it, one of these things you had to communicate by text there to, uh, I had no option to unmute. There we go. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> so, so, um, would you mind, uh, I think, uh, um, you, you run a very timely product, Desana. Uh, would you mind uh, explaining the journey? Uh, what made you start the company? How how would you how how did you build that initial team? What were you doing before? Yeah, certainly. So, um, started the company um, about four and a half years ago now. So, before we knew what a pandemic was, and uh, so it started. Uh, so, I, I've, I've run my own business from a fairly young age, from nineteen. Um, in a completely different industry. So uh, we, we uh, ultimately evolved into a commercial land and building survey company. So we're kind of involved in the commercial uh, real estate industry uh, for, for about five years. And uh, running, running that business, we were working from home and uh, experiencing uh, the, the challenges as a sort of extroverted character of sitting in the house on your own all the time as, as my personal pain point. But in kind of pursuing solving my own uh, problem, stumbled across uh, something a lot more interesting, which was essentially the, the fact that we're seeing pre-pandemic a sort of mass decentralization of the workforce. So companies building remote first, um, you know, people uh, searching for, for more flexibility and autonomy over where and when they can work um, and kind of building around that problem set. But uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's been an interesting uh, last few months or a uh, year and a half now uh, since kind of the, the nature of every company had to change around that whole pandemic. So, so yeah, but we, 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 um, we evolved, we sort of bootstrapped initially for the first kind of two years. We, we had another, um, th- that business that I was telling you about called Aura Survey. Uh, and we kind of got it down to working, uh, my business partner, Steve and I working maybe five, five days a month and, and kind of, um, you know, picking and choosing which, which surveys we would do to, to bootstrap this, uh, the SANA thing. And, um, it, we, we managed to get a fair amount of traction. So we built a sort of B2C proposition initially, uh, to solve our own problem. And, and as I say, very quickly realized that that didn't feel, it didn't feel like we could fill kind of half a whiteboard with the, the problems we could solve. Uh, for for individuals, and uh, when we dug into the kind of uh, the bigger bigger problem of you know distributed teams in in larger businesses, uh, we kind of stumbled across two whiteboards for the problems, and thought, well, maybe we should double down on that. So, uh, maybe two years into starting the business, we we actually cut off the the B two C proposition altogether and doubled down on on B two B, and um, in doing that, uh, we we managed to to raise. Um, some some venture funding, um, in, uh, maybe two years into the project, so uh, which was not easy <laughs> initially, and but ongoing actually. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, I, I just actually saw what you sent me over the um, text or LinkedIn. Uh, it seems that you didn't have the mute button uh, no. altogether, so you were right, and I uh, I apologize. Um, <laughs> When the mute button's there, it's very obvious. <laughs> Not a problem. Okay. Not a problem. All right. Uh, can we move to Elliot, please? Uh, Elliot, I think um, you're trying to, uh, you're opening, uh, working in the influencer marketplace, but you seem to be bringing friends and you're trying to sort of use the friends to become influencers. So would you mind sharing your journey, please? Yeah, sure. I guess I'll, well, thanks for having me. And, you know, it's great to follow up after all those fantastic introductions. No pressure coming last. Um, so <laughs> I'll probably do a little intro of what you know, friendvertising is. So Whisper um, provides a digital form of word of mouth marketing uh, and market research, which we call friendvertising, um, which is essentially like what you said. And um, we use the influence of regular people to help brands uh, drive uh, influencer marketing uh, and harness the power of those that already buy their products um, to promote the brand and collect data in the most authentic manner possible. Um, this kind of came about when we were uni students. Um, we're a uni spin out. Um, we're on our placement year in the city of London working for Transperfect, um, the world's largest kind of translation tech company. Um, and we saw influencers were getting paid exorbitant sums of money. Um, and 
you know, I've already said the word influencer a few times and it's probably brought up some connotations, uh, probably not some positive ones, probably some negative ones that everyone's thinking of. Um, like Firefest, uh, data breaches and whatnot, um, shilling kind of fake products. Um, and we were looking at this and we saw like the kind of inauthenticity of it with all the really low engagement. Um, the average sponsored post in our research gets about 2.4% engagement. And we thought, you know, that's pretty bad. You would be speaking to a room of people and, you know, 98 of them leave. You're probably considered a pretty bad public speaker, right? Um, at the same time, we saw our friends talking about products and kind of services that they kind of love authentically and they're really big advocates of. Um, and we saw them getting huge engagement rates on these, kind of around 15%. So we saw that the kind of return in terms of attention was orders of magnitude higher. Um, so we kind of looked at the framework of the business we're at, Transperfect, which uses kind of AI and machine learning to basically put out big translations projects to a huge resource and number of uh, linguists. And we thought that's something that we could map on quite well to an industry that we really understand, which is you know, inputs, marketing, and marketing. Um, so, yeah, we set about in our kind of final year doing all our market research and and then when it came to the end of our degrees, um, we kind of took the plunge. We thought, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna go and take up these kind of postgrad job offers. Um, we're gonna we're gonna give Whisper a shot. Um, and we kind of spent the next year building out our MVP and our tech. Um, we're kind of going for the bootstrap approach, kind of like Michael said as well. Um, and then we got to a stage where you know we thought we really need to dive in on this. You know that there's so much room for growth. You know, consumers need to be able to monetize their digital assets in a way that they can't. You know, the, the opportunity for expansion here is is massive, um, as, as well as the complementary products that we can bring in. So we thought we'd do our first raise, our pre-seed, and we managed to close 450K in about six weeks. But I think that's because we took that kind of bootstrap approach. You know, we, we'd already had a built product. We had some great clients aboard, like you know, Sushi, the Athenian, Ping Pong. Um, and we were earning revenue and, you know, growing organically. So, you know, that, that was, that's our journey in a nutshell, essentially. Uh, Andrew, would you mind taking over as I uh, overstep my limit? Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, thank you very much. So uh, we'll now go back to Peter. Um, this actually does talk a bit more about the, the investment uh, side of things. We'll just talk for a few minutes to, to each the panel member. So, so Peter, um, you went from Oxford Ventures to Origami and you, know, you, you were in, you know, part of, you, know, you, you kind of knew what you were doing, you, know, you had three signed letters of intent. So I presume it was a walk in the park, was it, to, to, get, that, um, uh, to get that kind of first, first round of investment as you were, were kind of well-versed in it? Um, uh, <laughs> if only. Uh, raising money is never a walk in the park. Um, uh, but but it was certainly helpful to get the first round away because we had those basic ingredients, you know, uh, uh, three customers that wrote down on a piece of paper, you know, if you build it, we will use it and we'll pay for it. You know, that's helpful. We also had a bunch of advisory board members who really knew their domains inside and out, and they thought we were onto a winner as well. Uh, and, and in a previous life, I'd also taken a company public on the stock markets and built significant shareholder value. So those ingredients were really helpful, but still, it's, you know, raising money is hard. Um, and in particular, because we um, focused on uh, a B2B solution for energy companies, think about power traders buying hundreds of millions of pounds or billions of pounds worth of power from solar farms and wind farms. You know, our, our users are very demanding. You know, enterprise-grade software is what they're looking for from our platform. So it must be absolutely secure and scalable and modular and, you know, et cetera. So we knew we were on a relatively high-cost, high-value journey. So when we went from those early beginnings to a couple of months ago, we raised 20 million pounds um, uh, in a deal led by Barclays, not your high street bank down the corner, but the global uh, um, uh, you know, investment operations of Barclays' own balance sheet, including a new sustainable impact fund. The reason why we went down this route to raise relatively large sums of money is because our product's got to be bomb-proof, it's got to scale, it's got to be really secure because it becomes mission-critical software for gigantic power companies, you know, buying and selling, like I said, billions of, of dollars worth of power trade. So it's got to work. <laughs> uh, so, so, so that's the 
the reason why we went down the journey of, re- of raising relatively large sums of money is so we can invest into what needed to become a world-class product. Yeah, thank you. Of course, it was kind of rather tongue-in-cheek about being a walk in the park. But I mean, what, what it does kind of demonstrate is, uh, as, as you, you know, you'd had experience there, you knew what element you had to put together, the, you know, the farm investor intent, the, you know, the, the prospective customers, the advisory board members that was, um, the, you know, a proven founder. So you kind of knew what the, those elements were. Um, so it'd be interesting to, to you at CVC now, um, kind of what was that kind of journey like between the, um, the, the, the rounds? Yeah, so, so each each round has its own different ingredients, and usually you have to prove something substantial before you're able to raise another round and you know take some key risk out or create some tangible value. So, so for example, um, uh, uh, the key thing that changed a couple of years ago for us is that we signed our first kind of um, multi-year, multi-million pound recurring contracts with these large blue chip company. So we locked in, uh, you know, future revenues for years in advance. And now we could develop effectively a land and expand strategy. So the reason why we're successful at getting this round away is that we built a, um, a group of blue chip customers, all of which had signed up to kind of um, recurring contracts, albeit the initial deployment with them was actually quite small to begin with. Um, but, but then we'd identified key ways in which we could grow within those existing accounts that we'd signed up, whether it's, you know, onboard more of their operations onto our platform or launch new software modules that they pay with or expand beyond the UK into other territories where that customer was already active. So we had three degrees of expansion of growth within each of our existing customers. And really that was really attractive for, um, for an investor. Uh, uh, so when we went out to raise a, a chunky amount, to really go for it. Those are the key ingredients that helped. I think also, to be completely frank, the outside world changed in, in a helpful way too. When I, when I founded the company, the whole idea that, you know, the green movement was, you know, absolutely essential for the world and was going to be commercially, you know, viable and the biggest opportunity the world ever seen, you know, that wasn't true five, six years ago. It was still the realm of sort of environmental hippies and thought leaders and people who wanted to change the world. But now, you know, it is blindingly obvious that the whole world does need to go green as quickly as we possibly can. And that going green is also the biggest commercial opportunity that the planet has ever seen, making, you know, technology and the internet revolution look tiny in comparison, right? So the thing that changed externally beyond our own internal proof points as a, as a startup is that the macro environment has now made it very clear that we need, you know, technology-based solutions to accelerate the shift to a green energy world. And that there's a, a, a gigantic shift in the, in the external macro environment. So we did have those useful tailwinds when we were raising money, but the internal proof around, do you have great customers? Are they paying you or, you know, good money for a world-class product? Those were absolutely essential proof points to raise the $20 million that we just did. Peter, so thank you. I think some very kind of uh, wise words there, um, about kind of, especially around the transition between, between those rounds. Um, Peter, you're okay kind of mute yourself now and uh, move on to, to Stuart um, at Restless, if you could kind of unmute yourself. I mean, you, did, you did touch on this, Stuart, during um, your initial introduction around, I mean, you closed around just, your seed round just before uh, lockdown. Um, you just seemed to kind of, is that right? Did you just kind of pick it in there just, just beforehand? Um, uh, yes, correct. Right, but then, I mean, but then you've now raised a Series A, a, a double that, um, kind of in, in, in June. Uh, you know, how, how did, and you, you touched on it briefly, but how did um, you know, this, it change, kind of the, the lockdown, and you know, did you have to do that much um, about how you approach your Series A? Um, so, so not so much how we approach the Series A, but I think... Um, it was it was clear. Like, if, if there's one place you didn't want to be in a pandemic that had disproportionate health effects on older individuals and uh, caused the labour market the likes of which we've never seen in a generation, um, it's probably a working career site for for uh, midlifers. Right? It, it couldn't, yeah. couldn't have been more of a perfect one. Might as well have been been in trouble. I think what where where we held true is that. 
um, while we knew that revenue was going to take a really bad hit throughout that year or throughout that summer in particular, I think it was clear that the engagement we were seeing with our members was really, really strong. And actually, we, we just had, the, I remember this uh, really strong conversation with the board around, there's never been a greater need, actually, across so many different dimensions. We'd always wanted to build a much broader community of, of members in its broadest sense there, so not necessarily forums or anything, but just a community of people. Um, and, and actually, when you think about it that way, there was never a better way to actually, rather than backing away from things, to, to double down, actually, and go as fast and as quickly as we could to helping helping create resources and tools that would help people in, in every aspect of life. And we, we saw that, so we threw up a, a learning an online learning marketplace in a matter of weeks that has over 70,000 courses, many of them free to take advantage and to provide really great resources for, for what was kind of a, a, almost a once in a generational boom in, in ed tech um, last, last summer as everyone was looking to put the, the lockdowns to good use. We launched a community platform on the site, again, very swiftly in, in response to our members telling us that they felt isolated and, and lonely. Um, so, so actually the, the ability to launch that really quickly and give people a forum to stay sane and to connect with other others um, was, was really powerful for, for us and for them. Um, so, so actually it was, it was a, pivotal, a pivotal time for us, like it was so many other businesses. The really big strategic decision we had was, do, do we hunker down or, or do we actually lean into this? And, and for us, the, there was only one real way to come out of that, and that was to lean into it. I, I think I, I, I have to say we're, with any, any successful business, there is an element of skill uh, that can't be downplayed, but there's also an element of luck. And again, because we had just raised money, our balance sheet was strong. It enabled us to lean in uh, and ride out the most tumultuous period of last year. Um, I think if we'd have been going in to raise money um, a month or so later, I think it might have been a very different tale. So um, we're not, uh, we, we certainly feel an element of luck in, in the timing for everything and how it played out. Well, it seems like you kind of uh, handled that kind of very well. And of course, you know, I can see that you know, a couple of your investors you see them have gone on kick you save your day as well. Um, we we have been kind of pushed on time, uh, Stuart, so I would say but thank you very much for. Uh, for that, and um, I'll get to meet yourself and um, uh, move on to, to, to Michael. Um, so, Michael, um, so you did a, a classic kind of uh, scratch your own itch, um, but you kind of bootstrap for, for, for two years. I'd be, be interested in just kind of expand a bit on um, yeah, uh, uh, what what did you have kind of at the point of the, the seed raise? I mean, you mentioned that you went from B to C uh, to B to B, and you doubled down on that. And also, I think you mentioned that your seed raise wasn't easy. Could you just um, expand a bit more on, on that, please? Yeah, certainly. So um, from a, a product perspective, we're very lucky in that in, uh, one of the sort of founding team, we had a, a CTO um, who was able, we were able to kind of build uh, a fairly stable um, uh, platform quite cost uh, efficiently. Um, and uh, so we had a, a working product at the time. Uh, we, we were only in a handful of countries with, with workspaces. So we're the time we're maybe in five five countries, maybe ten cities or so. We're now in uh, forty-two countries, um, ninety-one cities, and, and sort of continuing to grow. So, you know, we, we had a fairly limited amount of supply of, of workspaces accessible through the platform. Um, you know, we were sort of uh, lining up uh, pilots with with a, a couple of larger uh, businesses, um, a, a large bank and a, a large sportswear brand. So we're getting a bit of traction. And um, you know, get, get gaining a, a you know a bit of recognition in, in this sort of space, and um, you know, when it comes to how difficult or how easy it was to, to raise money, we're, we're a Scottish company, um, so raising venture capital in Scotland is, you know, you're, you're talking to a very small pool of uh, of investors, and in fact, there's very um, there's loads of angel syndicates and you know individuals that are sort of typical sources of capital in Scotland, and that wasn't necessarily the journey that we were um, optimizing for. We're kind of trying to optimize for a sort of um, London or, or US-based uh, venture um, journey, and it meant that we needed to get out of Scotland to to kind of focus on 
on where we could raise money. Um, but we're kind of serendipitously introduced to a fund before they had launched, a fund called Techstart, uh, who kind of focus on um, secondary markets and, and providing high quality venture investing in, in these in these markets. And so we're very lucky to be introduced to Techstart at the time and uh, got on really well with, with, with the partner, which I think is a really key part of, of fundraising is, is um, you know, in, in some ways um, going into a bit of a relationship with these people. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that was a big part of, of raising the first round of funding. And, and since then, we've raised, as, as you'll see in another sort of larger round of funding, and, you know, really leaned on the relationships um, that our, our first uh, venture investor could bring to the table. And it's been a really uh, positive experience from there. But again, it's uh, it meant loads of 14-hour days and uh, loads of honing. What we're doing as a business, I think that's something we really focused on was telling a good story was not really what we're optimizing for. It was actually delivering um, a product to a customer. And I think Peter was really uh, talking about that, you know, proving as much as possible with what we have with commercial traction was, is always what we're, what we're trying to optimize around. And that's uh, ultimately what got the, the next round of funding done. Thank you. Yeah, and often not maybe you know well bootstrapped to kind of to prove that and to show they've got you know a business model that works and they can kind of generate revenue and I thought you know did the move to were the move to kind of B to be a part of that to show kind of early revenue and that um, you know because it, it's slightly easier to monetize was that a, was that a consideration? And um, I think my personal understanding of. Um, how to solve a problem is more aligned with sales than it is marketing and, and B2C is very much a marketing led okay. exercise. And, um, you're able, you know, I literally had one hour long phone calls with individuals that might spend 30 quid on our product. And I've had one hour long phone calls with heads of real estate for multinational companies who have spent hundreds of thousands of pounds on our, pro- on our product. And I thought we just now, you know, <laughs> maybe this is, maybe this is what we should be focused on. You know, yeah. Um, Michael, th- thank you very much for, for, for your time. Um, I think if you can kind of uh, mute yourself now and um, Elliot. Um, so, um, uh, W-Y-S-S-P-R, did, did, did you kind of have, did you pronounce that or did, did it just the initials? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Whisper. Yeah, everyone Whisper, sorry. Acronym. Yeah, no worries, we, we, we capitalised it. The ironic, you know, the market full of people shouting, so we thought never shout, always Whisper. We can't make this, you know, lowercase. It's got to be, it's got to be capital all the way. And I mean, you describe yourself as, as a uni spin-out. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite interesting because you've got a, um, in your PC, Dan, you've got a whole kind of host of investors from, from the University of Essex through to Anglia Capital, lots of individuals. Um, kind of what, what made you uh, construct that particular kind of set of, Set of investors are they are they ones that can um, that have, have kind of the contacts or yeah can you just explain about how you how you build that up please yeah sure so you know being at the University of Essex is, is where we're from you know it's, it's quite a plucky university that they, they love you know um, things that are a bit different and taking a risk that they're not very um, straight and formalised like a lot of the red brick universities. Um, they're looking to really grow the kind of entrepreneurial and, and, and business aspect of, uh, of the university, which is why they've, they've formed um, one of the highest numbers of uh, knowledge transfer partnerships in the UK. And they've invested almost more than anyone for the size of the university into um, innovation uh, and innovation resources. So, you know, they were a key key backer of us in the first day. And I, I think that comes down to part of the struggle that, you know, Ollie and myself had. One is, you know, we're two young founders um, with not years and years of experience. We're quite limited in that aspect. We had to convince people that we have the ability to not only grow this company, but, you know, take it all the way to acquisition or exit. Um, and they were pretty much the first people that, that looked at what we'd done and, you know, seen that as proof. You know, we, we had to very much show them, as well as the investors, that essentially our actions were the proof of that rather than our past rap sheet or experience. Um, you know, we'd managed to build the MVP, we'd built the product, we've got some fantastic customers aboard, um, and that was kind of our foot in the door, and then we could convince them 
or the vision. Um, you know, obviously when you say influencer marketing, people usually think, oh God, you know, all these types of people are just shilling products online and it's hard to see the value in, in what we're doing. So, you know, that allowed us kind of a, a foundation to do that. And then we went to Anglia Capital. Um, you know, people were really receptive to what we've done so far, so much so that they were willing to, to listen to the long run vision and, you know, how we're going to eventually be able to fully empower consumers and, you know, make them a, a mission critical part of how brands um, build their marketing function. And the investors that we managed to get interested in us have some fantastic value add and connections, and they all believe in that vision and mission. So you've got kind of like the ex um, CFO at Pixar, who, when he left Pixar, went to build on his own marketing company, and I think he took that to something like 2,000 employees. Um, we've got people from the brand side, like the ex owner of uh, Apple Cider. Um, and then we've got some people that work in kind of the SaaS platform side as well that have, you know, built up companies and exited them there. Um, and also one of our main investors, he's invested heavily in the SaaS platforms over the last few years. And, you know, that's our main focus now. We've operated as an agency, also we're bootstrapping, um, building all the kind of tech tools internally and having this kind of myriad of, of different investors from the different stages of who we interact with and, you know, the technical side really gave us that kind of like mission mission orientated skill set um, to be able to get us to the next round and build something that's you know really fit the purpose oh, thank you very much Elliot it's uh, yeah fascinating to hear and it, it, it's great to hear that um, at the university were kind of so supportive um, kind of in, in those early days and obviously you, you've got those great people kind of around you now um, we are, we are kind of pushed for time, so um, I'll now hand you over to Stuart for the final part of today. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. So we're going to go around Robin again, and uh, Peter, I'm going to come back and start with you. And in this part of the show, we sort of talk about that investment and how you're going to use that to move forward, sort of grow, scale, depending on where you are within that investment sort of structure. So... Obviously, from your side, Peter, you've taken a, a significant chunk. Can it be good to understand what you're going to use that for over the next 12 to 6 months to either grow product, grow the client base, etc., and and how you're going to go about that? Yeah, thanks. And and you're, 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 the, the, the two things you mentioned are bang on in terms of our focus. So because we've already got um, some customers using our solution, uh, the initial modules are live and we're building out more, our, our focus really is to land and expand, uh, both land new customers, but exp- expand with existing customers. And the way we're doing that is in investing in you know really talented people to build uh, more products, both internally, but also more interfaces to the outside world for other point solutions. So we can provide a, a whole solution to our customers, but not build everything ourselves, which is you know a road to madness um, and capital inefficiency and all sorts of other ills. So we are going to be investing heavily in building out more and more product modules, um, uh, uh, which means we can offer a richer solution to both new and existing customers. Um, and bearing in mind that some of our customers are, you know, the UK subsidiaries of global giants, the third dimension of expansion will be internationalization. So we're already getting quite a few requests from customers. Can we support their activities and other in other energy markets where there are loads of renewables being deployed and market volatility is rising rapidly as a result, actually, of the physical volatility in the sun and the wind results in financial volatility in traded markets. So we're getting a lot of interest from overseas markets where the renewable revolution is well underway. So yeah, we're, we're basically going to land and expand with existing and future customers, build out more software modules, uh, to offer uh, increasingly rich solutions to our customers that help them, you know, succeed in their markets. And with those customers, we'll also expand um, internationally. So that's why our, our CTO in particular has engineered a really scalable approach to adding more functionality without, uh, you know, us, you know, being uh, bent out of shape, um, which is fantastic. 
That's a nice model. Yeah. And, and again, like you say, you've already got those clients and expanding them and internationalization. You've got those entry points already ready to go, which is awesome. And what, what would be interesting is um, sort of diverting slightly is, is, is how do you get new customers or how did you get new customers? Uh, was it something when you were building it, you already had a, um, access to them? Um, you know, How did you generate those sort of first large scale clients? Because this isn't just a, a standard SaaS service that you're selling out the box. Yeah, so so um, it's a combination of channels actually, um, uh, and and you know if I'm honest, the effectiveness of the various channels we're still learning, right? We're still learning what works best, whether it's a direct approach, you know, to the the CEO or or whoever I happen to know on the board or other people in our sales team, or we put out a bit of thought leadership based on a product launch we've just done or an insight into where we think the market is going. So quite a lot of our our, our product leadership is, is backed up or even led by thought leadership. So we've kind of positioned ourselves as a company that has a view on how the overall market is changing. Okay, we're not trying to be, uh, uh, you know, better at what our customers do than our customers are. You know, they understand the, the, the markets and how to trade in those energy markets. But we understand the overall direction of travel, what it means for the technology that will be required to succeed in those, in those shifting sands. So I guess one thing we are doing is try to be both a, a thought leader and a product leader. And that combination, I think, works well with our customers is, you know, because we're not trying to sell our thought leadership. We sort of, you know, we're, we're pretty intellectually generous. You know, so we, we give that kind of stuff away. We think X and Y is going to happen. By the way, that's why we built X in our product. So ultimately, we're a product company. But to help sell the product, we're quite generous on the, the, the kind of uh, the thought leadership side. Yeah, and that, that's a, a model that always, it's my favorite model, is uh, give away that knowledge. Um, knowledge is free, in a sense, and use that as that lead generation aspect. Because like you say, you've already, you've already got that awareness. Uh, you can bring the customers in to build the, the modules that are required based on that as well. But uh, no, that's yeah, again. Because, because I think at the very macro level, right, it's, it's easy to recognize in, in, in energy that the whole world needs to go renewable. But, but, the, but the level of, of insight below that obvious, conclusion is really critical. So how does increasing data complexity affect a, a power trader? What about increasing volatility? What about the need to physically balance uh, the system and, and make assets rev up and down? What about financially trading in markets and then contractually signing up their own customers? So how do you bring together the physical, financial, and contractual domains together? That's hard, right? So we can help them with that kind of stuff. So uh, we don't offer much in terms of, hey, the world needs to go green. I think everybody knows that. But, but, the, but the so what below that has a lot of intricacy where we, ought, we offer you know, really you know, leading insights to our customers and then we build a product to match. Perfect, perfect. Peter, thank, thanks for joining us again today. You can now take a little rest, and, uh, and thanks for those great insights as well. And I'm now going to move. My on. pleasure. Oh, thank you. I'm now going to move on to my counterpart, Stuart. Um, I got very confused when when Manoj was saying Stuart. I was like, is, is it me? Am I supposed to be talking? <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I fit in your demographic just as well, uh, Stuart. I've just turned fifty this year, so uh, I'm de- definitely in there. So I mean, it's an interesting space, and you were sort of digging into it a little bit further about you know, getting that value out of life and, and those sort of components. Um, it'd be good to understand how, how, how are you getting customers like me? How, how are you uh, going to invest that money and sort of build, build yourself and go a little bit further? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting actually, because, because it's such a diverse group of people. Um, so I always talk about how diversity actually increases with age. Um, kind of, for, if you if you just take the the wealth divide, for example, depending on which side of compound interest you've been on for the for the last thirty years, makes a massive difference in wealth outcome. But you've also got huge health outcomes. So so there's a nine year gap in life expectancy between the least deprived, most deprived areas of the UK, and the extent to eighteen years of a healthy life expectancy. So you, you're talking about an extremely diverse audience. And yet there are so many similarities that we come across, which is people are excited for the future. They want to make the most of this time. They are don't want to be condescended. They don't want to be talked down to. They don't want to be forgotten about, which, if, I, if I'm honest, is often how people are treated, right? Which is, which is, which is just crazy. Um, and I think we, we are, we're building, we're, we're growing really fast. So we quadrupled membership in 2020. 
We're 600,000 members now across the UK. Um, and we just, we, I suppose we're just helping um, provide really a kind of this, this kind of one-stop shop of support, uh, tools, guidance, and resources that people can go to to, to get help or, or information on, on, on anything they, that could be, could be affecting them, if that makes sense. Um, I suppose one other point that I always get pain to talk about is, and we, while we're guilty about talking about the over 50s, it's, a, it's an expression I hate. Like, one, you'd never talk about the under 50s as a group. Um, and as, and to, as far as niches go, like, uh, it's like a third of the population is not a, it's not a niche. Um, we focus very firmly on people in their 50s and 60s um, with kind of this bullseye target of around 55 to 65. Because I think, kind of, again, it varies for, for everyone individually, but we just see so many life transitions going on. So in the workplace, we've talked about, we've talked about um, from a financial perspective, people are at peak uh, pensions and property accumulation before they start thinking about downsizing the house or drawing down from the pension. Um, you're at peak transition point, often in relationships. So kids might have left home and, and there's an empty nest syndrome. Um, although, again, the, the diversity there is quite wide. You've got many, many people in their 50s with very young kids at home um, and many with, with none, none at all, actually. So you've just got, but you've got this transition period around relationships as you have with financials, as you have with the workplace. And like on a personal level, I, I just find it fascinating. And we've kind of, we, we've built a business around helping uh, people navigate these, these transition points in life. Yeah, I totally agree there. I think, you know, there's, there's a change from when I was a, a, a little bit younger and my mum and dad were growing up and they hit the 50s to where we are now. It's a different demographic and uh, and a different space. There's no longer working at Kellogg's and getting your gold watch pension anymore. That that doesn't exist. Uh, and people are sort of a bit more reticent about that transition and what they're going to do over time. And, yeah, again, with the services that you offer, and, yeah, I prefer not to be called over 50, um, a little bit more mature, <laughs> definitely. But but it's about the aspect of you, you coming into sort of that period of your life where you need to start making some decisions um, for the future yeah. around that and, and those guidance and topics. So, you know, do I take some of my pension out at 55? I don't know. Why do I want to? What's the impact on me? It's, it's those sort of things that, again, it's that transition period. I agree. And, and for, the, for those who are, who are lucky enough to have had a really successful linear career path, like company CEOs in their 50s or 60s, they'll often have advisors to help them navigate some of those transitional points, or they'll be well enough networked to find their own non-exec roles and, and so on. I think where we, we support for those that don't necessarily, can't necessarily afford their own advisors in all of these kind of uh, stages and aspects of life, if that makes sense. So trying to bridge that and take the, a lot of the principles and learnings that you, you can have from, from those, I suppose, really high-end personalized services and, and make them available to democratize them and make them available to, to, to a much wider set of individuals. And yeah. it's something that we're, we're quite passionate about, actually. No, that's perfect. And um, and again, thanks thanks for your time today as well, Stuart, and sort of giving us those insights. And again, just sort of something that you can bring around from a sort of community aspect as well, and to bring in some of those people that have been through it, some of those experiences and sharing that. So that's that's awesome. But uh, you can have a little rest now. Uh, I'll put you back on mute and I'm going to jump over to Elliot around uh, Whisper. Um, I was listening earlier, so I remember that a little bit. Yeah, and Elliot, so you, you've just took some pre-seed investment there as well. Uh, and this is normally a blend of where you're sort of looking to either push into product or push into sales or push into both. Um, so what, what's the plan with Whisper over the next, next six to 12 months? Yeah, it, it's kind of that blend, like you said. I, I think part of what we're doing, at least for now, is where we're focusing on that alternative to influencer marketing to get ahead of the assumptions and really prove our value. We, we need to be doing both. And that's why we put ourselves in a position where we can actually drive sales. So, you know, our agency model is proven and we're offering this. It's really stress-tested. Um, and now we have the capital to be able to focus on building out the SaaS platform, you know, where brands can run these campaigns themselves and it makes us more scalable. Also provides a, a kind of foundational piece um, for the future where we can add these products that we're currently doing a bit of research and uh, testing on. So that being said, um, we're focusing on the one thing and doing it well. We don't want to add too many products in at the moment. So, so they're all for the future. Um, you know, we're building out our core, core team to do that. So we've attracted some great talent recently. Um, marketing manager that's... Um, at his old company was just gearing them up for Series A. Um, 
had some exceptional growth um, there and our new recent principal engineer. Um, he's got a PhD in, in, in the relevant um, research areas that we're focusing on. And he's worked at some great companies before. So, you know, we're very much focusing on the both, like you said. Yeah, I think the, the challenge is always that balance, isn't it? Because obviously you want to develop the product, but you need the customers to help fund that. Yeah. Um, but also it's that balance of getting ahead of the market and making sure the product is ready. It's, it's, it's always a balance. Especially because we're that marketplace as well. You know, it, it's, we, we've got to provide users that brands can you know, use to market. And then we've got to have the brands as well. So it's like that chicken and egg problem, right? Um, so I think that's where the agency offering really helps us set up the SaaS platform for success. You know, we're, we're, offering, um, we're offering our users jobs already and we're already building that user base. So, so when we go to launch our SaaS platform, we've got people there. Um, but, you know, kind of much like Peter said, we're still learning um, how to, to, best, to best grow and we're testing a lot of channels. Uh, but for now, we're kind of providing value wherever we can. And, you know, we're getting organic interest and referrals. But I think that just stems from where we're seeing the marketing world move towards a kind of new era of, digital rights and kind of consumer empowerment, you know, seeing industry leaders like Google move towards phasing out third-party uh, cookies for tracking and Apple allowing users to opt out of unique identifier tags. Brands just need uh, a new way to be able to, to get across to consumers and they, they can do that via their communities and that's going to be increasingly the focus, I believe, and um, we believe, of the marketing world over the next five to ten years. Perfect, perfect. And yeah, you're in a, a really good space as well at a really good time. And uh, again, Elliot, thanks thanks for joining us today and sort of giving us the insights on what you're doing. Um, you can now go on mute. I'm going to come back to Michael and uh, wrap up the hour. Just understand about Tasana, Michael. And, and again, you're in a, in a larger um, seed investment round, but in, in a really sort of interesting change in space around workspaces and such. So with that investment, are you looking to build into infrastructure, into marketing? What's what's the sort of plan over the next six to 12 months for yourself? Yeah, so, so we've been quite um, fortunate to, to, to really be, um, you know, seeing quite a, a high demand for the product. And um, nailing execution for for the, the companies that we're currently working with has been a big focus. So we're, we're having to hire roles faster than, than we initially thought we might have to. So hiring customer support um, in multiple time zones. So we're hiring you know, four, four roles in the US around account management and customer support, um, you know, managing inbound rather than developing necessarily implementing strategy around um, outbound has, has been, you know, what we're having to, to focus on. And um, yeah, look, looking at where there's leaks in the bucket, really. So, you know, where are we seeing um, the most failure demands from, um, from, from what we currently have and, and building around that there's, there's, you know, so there's been sort of optimizing the product to, to meet more of the needs of the, the user and the organization. So, you know, how do we make it even easier for distributed teams to, to find each other um, uh, within, you know, uh, within a network of workspaces? Um, you know, so the, the, there's many other bits of functionality that we're building that just makes the, the user journey a lot easier. And some of it feels very obvious and it's uh, putting resources around that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, the, you know, we've kind of unearthed uh, a bunch of, dysfunction within you know commercial real estate or office real estate uh, for that matter in this journey and kind of been sitting on a few ideas uh, that we've been sort of verbally um, discussing with with uh, heads of real estate within within our, our, uh, our customers and um, there's been a lot of traction around some of these ideas that you know uh, so we're just trying to try figure out how we program them in as well Pro- probably the next round so so you know Keeping focused on on nailing execution and um, dealing with the demand that we're seeing, and, and making sure that you know we create fans of the, the customers that we currently have uh, is really the focus of this round. And uh, you know we'll be going to, to raise another round of funding to look at you know adding product lines and, and also um, stimulating growth beyond the organic growth that we're seeing at the moment. Perfect, perfect. And that's that's a great plan for you to to go forward with.
And again, thanks thanks for joining us, giving those insights again today. And I realise it's an hour and it just goes so quickly and there's a lot to get through. So I'm going to cl- close with yourself and hand back to Mnodge for closing notes. Thank you. Um, th- thank you so much, Stuart. And uh, uh, amazing four stories we heard today. Um, thank you, Peter, Stuart, Elliot and Michael. Uh, Stuart, I, I would love to have a chat about your volunteering because um, uh, last year we set up uh, a new startup called uh, Skilled Up Life. It's a volunteering marketplace for uh, startups. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for giving one hour of your time. Uh, I know how hard it is to find time on Monday. Um, so uh, we, we've recorded this, so we'll share that uh, later on. Take care and uh, have a great week. Thank you, Mom. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.